All right, so we are in the 16th week of our witness series. Um, We've been in the book of Acts, right? Um, So just to kind of give you a little highlight reel of what's been going on in Acts. So chapter two, you got uh, the Spirit comes down at Pentecost, right? Prior to that, the Holy Spirit resided in the temple. Now the Spirit comes down and it resides in us. We're the temple. We're we're empowered to do the work of God. A little way longer, Peter starts preaching and healing in the temple. 3,000 people get saved, right? You're starting to see this momentum of the church. They're meeting daily in the temple. They're um, reading the word of God. They're teaching the word of God. They're um, breaking bread together. You're starting to see unity and fellowship in the temple, right? A little while longer, um, Stephen's killed. He's persecuted for his faith. The church is scattered, right? They take the gospel to a place called Antioch where we were first called Christians, Okay, uh, this is when the, the gospel first reached the Gentiles, right? Prior to this, um, the, the gospel is only taken to the Israelites, the, to the Jewish people. But the, the gospel reached the Gentiles and Antioch. From there, Paul gets launched on his first missionary journey. And that brings us into last week, uh, chapter 15, right? Dustin talked about this idea of um, faith plus, right? So the the religious leaders um, were, were coming to Antioch and they were teaching us that, uh, they're teaching the Gentiles that in order to be saved, you have to have faith plus you need to get circumcised. You need to follow the Mosaic law, right? We know, we know that's false. We know that's not true. Um, and and we, we do that a lot in our society. We, we, we try to change the gospel just a little bit and it completely um, takes away its power because anytime you add or take away from the gospel, Um, it it loses its power. It's no longer true. Um, And so this week, we're going to be focusing on Acts chapter 16, and this is Paul's second missionary journey, all right? Um, So let's open up to Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. All right, so wait a minute. So last week you said... Um, in order to be saved, the, you know, the religious leaders were teaching that in order to be saved, you need to have faith plus circumcision. And Paul got into a sharp disagreement and said, no, 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 no that's not right. You need faith in Jesus and that's, a, that's alone, right? You need faith in Jesus to be saved. Um, but why does he then turn around and circumcise Timothy, right? Timothy's father was a Greek. His mother was a Jew, It says, because of the Jews that lived in those places, right? So they had this missional mindset. They were going, they they would stop at nothing that the gospel would be reached these people, right? They didn't, it it wasn't about that. They They were engaging in their culture. They made a choice to circumcise Timothy, right? They made that choice because one thing mattered to them, and that was the mission of God, right? J.C. Ryle writes, A zealous man in religion is permanently a man of one thing. 
It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame. For all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. Amen? I think he's, he's pretty much describing Paul and Timothy in this situation, right? So Paul and Timothy cares nothing about any of that, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they have health. They care that the gospel is reached. They care about God's glory in this moment, right? So they're engaging in their culture and they're um, doing whatever it takes so that the gospel reaches these people. So let's pick back up in verse six. Um, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel there. I, I read this and I'm just like, wow. So Paul's moving in this direction. The Holy Spirit doesn't allow him to preach the gospel. Then he goes over here and the Holy Spirit doesn't allow him to enter into this city. And then he gets sent to Troas where he has a, a, a vision that he should go some. 400 miles this direction to preach the gospel, right? And it's, so it's like a lot of times in our life, we, we, um, we just think, gosh, I wish we, we had this vision, right? Does it ever feel like you're just, you're walking and the Holy Spirit doesn't allow you to do this and then he redirects you over here, right? But the key here is Paul's walking. He's walking in the will of God. He's not waiting for the will of God because we already have the will of God. The will of God is in this word, right? He's already given us his commandments. So, Paul's following the Holy Spirit. As he follows the Holy Spirit, he's obeying. He's obeying his commandments. And because of that, God's making his path straight. Right? He's providing for him. Right? It says in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of your ways. Obey him, right? And then what does it say? I will make your path straight. Right? So we don't have to wait on the will of God. We don't have to wait for him to say, um, like in a loud voice, say, Justin, come down. I need you to go to Thailand. I need you to go to Haiti. I need you to engage in this foster care. He doesn't, he doesn't do that a lot of times. He doesn't give us this vision. Sometimes um, we have to understand we have a commandment in the, in the word of God, and we have to be obedient to that. We have to walk in the will of God. We have to follow the Holy Spirit, right? He's leading us into these things. But we don't sit back and wait, right? God, God's given us his Holy Spirit. All right, the way I see this, um, so I, I read this and I think, like, there's got to be something deeper, right? Why, why, why wouldn't God just 
give Paul the, the vision of Macedonia earlier and just send him right there? Why did he, he take him over here, walk 200 miles just to say, no, you're not going to speak the gospel here? But what if there's something deeper? What if all the while God's shaping and molding Paul, right? He's working on Paul. He's, every step, Paul's having to trust harder, trust deeper. He's knowing God deeper as he walks and as he steps, right? What if the point isn't Paul's destination? What if God just wants him to trust him? He wants his heart, right? He wants God, he wants Paul to surrender to him. He wants Paul to burn inside for, for one thing and nothing else, and that's Jesus. All right, and the way I see this playing out in my own life, um, just recently, I, my wife and I have felt the Spirit call us um, to pursue this foster care, right? To, um, to walk in that. And we, we already know, we already have the commandment, right? To take up the, the cause of the fatherless, to care for the widow and the orphan, right? We, we have that in the word. God's already given that calling. The Spirit's leading us in that direction. So we should be obedient to that. We should be obedient to his commands. And as we do that, God will make our path straight. He'll provide for that. All right? That doesn't mean he might not redirect us. We may, he may say, no, not, that's not where I have you now. I'm going to lead you in a different direction. But as we're walking, as we're taking steps of obedience, God's going to continue to lead us in his spirit. But we have to be obedient to his calling. We have to follow the spirit. So that brings me to the, my second point. Um, we've got to walk in the will of God, right? Walk in the will of God. Um, it's never a passive waiting on the will of God because we have, we have his commandments. We have, um, we have his word. He's empowered us with his Holy Spirit, right? Spirit comes down at Pentecost and has empowered us. Um, so if we jump back into into Acts chapter 6, 11 through 15, we see Paul and Silas, they arrive in Philippi, right? The Spirit calls them to Macedonia. Um, that's Philippi. And they meet a, a woman named Lydia, an upper-class businesswoman, right? And the Spirit opens her heart and allows her to hear what Paul's saying, and she gets saved, right? And so if we jump in uh, to Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 24 it says once when we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune teller right she was possessed by demons right she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high god who are telling you they made their way to be saved She's mocking them. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that her hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. 
the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastens their feet in stocks. Wow. So Paul and Silas, they finally make it. They, they're on this journey. They finally make it to Macedonia, right? And they preach the word of God and they're, they're met with severe persecution, right? They're dragged into the marketplace, probably the most populated place in the area. Their clothes are torn off of them. They're beaten publicly with wooden rods. The crowd joins in and are beating them. All right. Then they throw them in prison and their feet are in stocks, right? So they're, they're bound like this. And I don't know if their hands are bound, but their feet are bound in stocks. They can't move. Like these are the same, this is the, the Romans' punishment, right? The same people that are crucifying um, Jesus. Picture the, cru- picture the crucifixion. Picture the gruesomeness of that. Like, this is the same type of thing. They're suffering severe persecution because they're being obedient to God, right? Being the, walking in the will of God is not always safe. There's, there's implications to that. But then watch what happens next. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and every chain came loose. The jailers woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Wow. So picture this. You, <clears throat> it's midnight. They're beaten. They're probably bleeding. Their, their limbs are aching. And what are they doing? They're, they're praising and singing God. They're rejoicing. And you got to think, they're surrounded and hardened criminals, Right? But it says that they listened to them, right? They gained influence in that situation. And they didn't care. They were unashamed, completely unashamed because they belonged to Jesus Christ. This is just a beautiful picture. They're praying and singing and then boom, an earthquake. Chains are broken. Jailer and his whole family get saved, right? Like, when I read this, it just gives me chills. It's like, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the God that we belong to. This is the God that we serve. But how is this possible? How are Paul and Silas possibly able to withstand the beating, We're able to maintain their joy in Jesus, right? How, how is that possible? And Paul writes, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? What, what do you do with someone like that? that? I don't care what you do to me. I don't care how much you beat me. I don't care... What names you call me? I don't care about my circumstances here in life because my suffering brings Jesus Christ his glory. 
And if I die, I get him. I get Jesus, right? So it doesn't matter what you do to me on here on earth. My hope is in Jesus, right? I, I picture this and I, I think about um, just last year when I was able to be in Haiti and we were there for their 30 days of prayer. Um, and, you know, these people are oppressed, right, by their government. They um, struggle with poverty, um, severe poverty. Um, but every day they met at church and prayed and sing and worship completely unashamed, dancing, singing, praying for hours. I mean, literally hours. And it never stopped. Then we would come home at night and they would pray and sing and worship for hours. Like literally, you can't fake that. You can't show up to church on Sunday and fake that. Like they, their joy was completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It didn't matter that... Um, it didn't matter the, about their circumstances. It didn't matter that the oppression that they faced. It didn't matter that they may not know where their next meal came from. Their hope was in Jesus Christ. And I, I kind of picture Paul and Silas praying and singing in the same way. I don't think um, that they were probably praying and singing and asking God to, to release them from prison. And I don't necessarily think that's what they were praying. I think they were praying and singing joy to Jesus Christ in heaven. Like, thank you, Jesus, that my satisfaction is you. It doesn't matter that I'm in this prison. It doesn't matter my circumstances. Praise God that I have joy no matter what. Like, and that's, it's just unbelievable when you see that, when you see that um, happen in their lives. And when, like, just being able to be in Haiti and experience that, um, it just brought me to my knees. Like, that is the joy that we that we should possess. That is the, the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we get comfortable in our, in our circumstances. We don't, may not face a lot of persecution or we may, not, we may be comfortable with all the distractions that the world has to offer, the American dream, our jobs, success, money, right? There's all these distractions, but we're called to one thing. Like when you think about that, when you think about um, what we're called to. Think about the most stressful thing that you have to look forward to in your week. Like, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That's not a grain of sand in the picture of eternity. So, but what does this mean for us? Because, you know, we're not beaten and thrown into a prison. We're not persecuted um, physically in this way. But I bet, um, I bet there's, there's pain in this room. I bet that um, there's hurt in this room. I bet there's marriages that are under attack in this room. I bet there's feelings of, of hopelessness. It's, it's, I bet that there's, there's suffering in this room. And I, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but um, Christian, no matter your circumstances, no matter what kind of darkness you find yourself in, um, you will never be without a song. You'll never be without a prayer. Uh, you will always have the hope in Jesus Christ, no matter what. No one can take that away from you. No, not now, not ever. No one will ever be able to take that away from you. And that should bring us a deep peace, right? And that allows us, that allows us to be a witness in our suffering, right? When we face persecution, when we face suffering, 
We're, when we're in the midst of a darkness, a dark time, or a, a, a hard season, we're able to be a witness um, to our suffering, a witness to God in our suffering, right? Like um, a lot of times I, I find myself praying to God, please like release me from this, release me from this hard time that I'm in right now. Father, please come and, and change my circumstances. But sometimes God's just asking us to engage in our suffering. He's not asking us to run from it. He's asking us to praise God in our suffering. He's asking us to sing to God, praise to him, like in every moment, no matter what we face. All right, because what I know from scripture, anytime there's suffering in the name of Jesus Christ, God receives his glory. All right, just look at Acts. What happens? Stephen gets stoned. Who's there? Paul. Paul gets saved. Paul reaches thousands for the gospel, right? Then Paul gets saved, or sorry, Paul gets stoned. And who's, I don't know if he was there, but I know he got stoned in the same city as Timothy. That Timothy grew up. So he certainly heard about it. He certainly knew about it. That certainly had some effect on Timothy. And now you have two powerhouses for the gospel going and um, are now companions for the gospel. Now um, missionaries supporting one another. You cannot stop the power of God. God will receive his glory. And that's the God that we serve. This brings me to um, my last point. We have to trust God. We have to trust the grace of God, right? So Paul and Silas are in prison and they're not able to rejoice in their suffering. They're not able to um, be obedient unless they trust God, unless they wholeheartedly trust that God is working in their lives, that God is moving, that, God, that they have a God that's worthy of their trust, right? That God, no matter what the circumstances is, is going to come and work for your good. And he's going to use you. And he's going to ultimately receive his glory and that we have hope and salvation in him. And no matter what, we have salvation in Jesus Christ. Like, do we believe that? Do we believe that with our heart? Do we believe that if we lost it all, if we lost our house, if we lost our job, if we lost, that we would still have hope, that we would still have hope in Jesus Christ? Do we believe that? Do we live like that? Because before we can have a burning desire in our heart for God, before we can walk in the will of God, before we can be a witness in our suffering. We have to trust in God's promises. We have to trust that God is who he says he is. That his grace is sufficient for our lives, that his grace is sufficient for the world's lives. We have to trust that. So if you hear anything this morning, and I know you've heard this scripture before, but please just listen and let the weight of this sink in. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. We had nothing to offer while we were still sinners. 
God got down off his throne, came down in the form of man as Jesus, lived a perfect life and was persecuted, was beaten, was killed on a cross for our sins. While we were still sinners, while we were the ones mocking him, while we were the ones um, causing him su- his suffering, because he loves us that much, because Jesus loves us that much. So I'm gonna pray here in a minute and we're gonna open up um, this altar just as a time of response. And if you need to lay something down this morning, if you need to um, lay down sin that you're struggling with, if you need to lay down um, suffering that you've been in, that you just need to give it up and give it to God. We want to open up this altar. If you just want to come by the way of surrender, it's by the way of saying, God, I'm not in control of my life. You are. And I want, I want to be led by your Holy Spirit. I want to obey your commands. And I believe that you will make straight my past. I believe that you will work for my good. Um, I just open this altar up for you. So let me pray. Father, do what only you can do, Father, and make, um, make a good work of us, Jesus. Use us. Father, thank you that you've called us. Thank you that you've chosen us, Father. Thank you that you've made a way. Father, thank you that you've made a way for us. Thank you that we have salvation in you for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God, we surrender. God, we want to be obedient to what you've called us to. We want to um, surrender what you've called us to. God, we trust you. You're worthy of our trust. You're worthy of every single step that we take, God. And God, we just want to be obedient. We want to take steps of obedience here this morning. God, thank you for the favor that you have on this house. Thank you um, for providing for us always. God, I know this life is messy sometimes, Father, but you always claim the victory over our life, God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, have victory in this house this morning, Jesus. Father, receive our praise. Let this be directed only at you and nothing else. Father, we pray this in your son's name.